I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here on The Dave Kittle Show. Welcome back in. I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners regarding partnering and or acquiring some or all their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have an M&A advisor, very experienced individual and professional, Paul Cronin. He's with True North. We're going to hear all about that. We're also going to cover, if you're a practice owner listening, what's next for your future? We're going to talk about the three Gs. We're going to get into some of that. We're going to hear some success stories and all that in between. So Paul, good morning. Welcome on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. So Give a brief background to yourself and what you're doing at True North. Sure. So, um, right. In a galaxy far, far away, it's all started, right? So, but long and short is um, I grew up in retail, actually, and cut my teeth in manufacturing. I joined a small company, coincidentally, in Herald Square in New York. For New Yorkers know where that is. And uh, we were single digit millions. And we ultimately grew that business pretty strong. I think we got somewhere between I don't know, 90 or 100 million over many years and then had an exit. I've owned three different companies. And so I know what it's like to buy a business, grow a business, sell a business. One of those businesses was a practice, which I still run part-time. Uh, I had a partner at one time. And that's called the Platinum Years. And that really was all about the process of exit planning, figuring out what your future is. And I joined, um, I turned to transactional work a number of years ago, starting with very small companies. And then I, as I moved over to True North Advisors Group here in the Boston area, uh, we sell, you know, I would call um, good sized multi million dollar businesses. Excellent. Sounds great. And that's the platinumyears.com. I just saw your name on there as right. I Platinum Years is my coaching consulting business. True North um, is True North. I'm sorry. It's tnag.org. <laughs> There's a lot Got of it. true norths. All right. And today's topic and uh, title, what trips up healthcare practitioners as they think about selling their practice? So when you hear that or an initial jumping off point, what's the the first initial component that either we should think about even before discussing it or some of the biggest uh, barriers, hurdles, or things that trips up private practice owners, physical therapy practice owners when they go to consider or think about exiting or selling? Yeah, I always like to start with what's the motivation behind selling? Like, what what are you concerned? Another question is, why did you start this? You know, because you kind of get to the essence of like why they became this practitioner. And that's really important to understand. And here's why a lot of practitioners, whether it's in the medical field, the legal field, what have you, they have what I call a co-joined identity. All right. I am a fill-in-the-blank doctor, DMD, PhD, lawyer, therefore I am. And now, if they're actually going to leave their profession, or for those who are completely leaving the profession, in many ways, they have to think about their identity. Now, for those who may stay in the profession, they're selling their practice maybe to a, a larger entity. 
they're going to move from what I call an ownership mentality to a management mentality or even an employee mentality. You see, they've shifted from here to here to here. And that is all psychology. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What are some things that hold private practice owners back when they're thinking about selling their business or their practice? Uh, in a word, fear or fears is what I should say. And the fear is a multi-level. So you might have a fear of, I don't want to get taken advantage of, right? Um, they have a fear of, I don't really understand this process. I, I'm a practitioner. I am X. This is what I do. You know, they may or may not even understand, you know, their financials. They sit down and talk to their accountant about it, but they may not have a really deep understanding. And particularly for people who, you know, they're highly educated, they can feel embarrassed about that. Right. So you get those fears for someone who's selling and thinking of retiring, right? You know, maybe they're in their 60s or 70s. They have a fear of, will I have enough money? And that can be goes related back to how much money they're going to get from the practice. And that, of course, relates to how good they've been at saving and investing. Okay. All of that is all based on those fears. Now you can say it's mathematical fears. And I said, no, fears are fears. Now there's ways to overcome all those and counterbalance all those, but that those are the underlying drivers. Right. And some of those fears, fear of the unknown, or they haven't done this before. They are a, a licensed professional where they maybe specialized in some area of physical therapy or medicine or whatever it might be, but they haven't done this before. They haven't, they have not done even one, let alone multiple exits, most likely. And if they have, then they maybe could do it on their own. But that's basically why intermediaries, brokers, advisors like yourself are in existence to help the practice owners, the business owners with this whole situation, this whole life event, because they haven't done it. And if there's all these fears, then that's why they reach out to folks like you. Yeah, as I have to say, there's really two parts to any kind of a move like this, selling, selling a practice, there's a transaction and there's a transition and they're really not the same thing. Transaction is what all of us tend to speak about. The dollars, the cents, the deal, the term, the employment contract, who deals with the debt, the transfer of the licenses. And you know what I mean? Employee benefits, it goes on and on and on. I'm going to bore people with all that. And not that it's boring, but you know, you've all heard it before. So you need advisors to help you figure that out. Obviously, the lawyers, the accountants, the wealth managers. There are you know people who really specialize in you know the practices, moving and transition of practices, and then guys like me who actually you know do the documents and all that. But the other piece that gets kind of underplayed is is this this two parts happening in the transition. So like I said before, is are you as a practitioner are you transitioning out of the field? Are you transitioning out of that particular practice or are you transitioning and perhaps you and your staff are transitioning into a much larger entity? And transition is not the same thing as change, right? Change is something that's going to occur. Like, you know, this, this, your change of employment, change of where you are. Transition is coming to terms with that change. So the transition is not necessarily just like, are they sticking around for six months or one or two years? But it's a process that's not just like their occupation or their employment, but it's also like you're, I want to kind of read between the lines, almost like where they're at in life and how they're kind of coming to terms with all this, not just change, but their situation in life. And is this the right fit for them? And yeah, what's, all of the what's above. next? It's, 
it is like, how do I define myself? I, you know, practitioner, owner, employer, whatever titles you have. And now I'm something else. And what I always say is you need to forget about those titles and merely figure out who you are. Right. And I can advise people on the deal terms and all of that. But I got to tell you the stuff that tends to drive the individual that the, that I, I call them the sellers. Okay. Things that drives them uh, crazy is the, all of these other fears and stuff. That's why I tend to talk more about it because it tends to trip everybody up. And if people are willing to spend the time and address those and think through it and find a trusted advisor that they can speak with them about it, number one, they're going to give come to peace on many of these issues, but they're also going to reduce errors and they're also going to reduce spending money on things that they shouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to reduce going into deals that actually don't address their fears and don't ultimately help them address their goals which is a whole other kettle of fish to discuss. I love this. I love that you touched on this. And let me just clarify. So what you're saying is instead of, because for me on the buyer side, we're looking at the transition, we're talking about the transition and we're talking about how long that owner either wants to stay on board with the transition or is willing to agree in either the purchase agreement and or a consulting agreement or both. And I, typically before this call was thinking like, well, yeah, it's very, it's very objective or quantitative. They're going to stay for six months or they're going to agree for one year or two years, or maybe some additional thing after that. But what you're saying is, is a little bit more of the emotional side. They're having to kind of come to terms with their situation changing. They have to come to terms with, like you said, who they are. Are they now going to be okay? Maybe working inside of this now medium size or larger size organization, depending on who that buyer might be. So a little bit more of like the emotional side, as opposed to the numbers of like, yeah, like they're going to just stay around and work in whatever capacity they're going to be compensated X. Here's their very delineated roles and responsibilities. What you're saying is, is more the emotional component. That's the stuff that can really trip people up. Yeah. I mean, if they, people don't spend some time thinking about what they want their future to look like, you know? And there's this graphic that I like to share with, with people. And I said, you know, you can think about your life in 10 parts, right? Most of us think about it's like, you know, we work and then there's all this other stuff, right? Particularly practitioners, business owners, right? And what happens is, you know, if your work is going to change, all right. And if you say, for example, if particularly for those who might be cutting back to part time or even retiring, you know, leaving the leaving their profession, you really need to look at all those other aspects. You know, how do you keep yourself physically healthy? How do you keep yourself intellectually engaged? How about what we all learned in this horrible experiment of COVID is how do you create social connections when you can't go to the office? Because most of us get a lot of our social connections through work, the office, what have you, right? If you are, in fact, going to retire, you may be spending a lot more time at home with your spouse or partner. You may have, quote, unquote, more time with family. Well, there are upsides and downsides to both of those. What are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with those people? Okay? And so when you look at all these other aspects of your life, what tends to happen is intellectually, work can become less important. Now, if you're going to keep working, you've got 
a whole other set of challenges you're dealing with. It could be an opportunity. Say you're selling to prison, you're taking practice, you're taking some money off the table, right? You're going to save some retirement or put your kids through college or whatever the case may be. So you're going to continue working for somebody else in some kind of capacity for some period of time. And what I say is, that's great. What do you want to accomplish while you're there? You know, it's all different. Right. So we might have touched on a few, but what are some ways that owners can counteract their fears about this whole selling or exiting process? Yeah, what what I like to say, and this pretty much relates to any kind of fear where you're kind of looking towards the future is, you know, there's the first first is describe what the fear is. Like it's like, well, you know, I'm fear I'm not going to have enough money, right? Okay, so what's causing that fear, right? And so understanding what that is. I'm going to be selling my practice. I may not have saved enough for retirement. All right. And so then the next question is, now, how does this fear have a negative impact on my thinking about planning for my future? All right. You say, well, if I'm not going to have enough money, I'm going to worry that, you know, maybe I, this isn't the right deal for me. Maybe I should be doing something else. Or, you know, am I going to have to, you know, work five years longer than I thought? On the other hand, it's like, I'm leaving, I'm retiring. I'm going to have a non-compete. I can't be a practitioner for X period of time. What am I going to do with my time? Right? So the third question that, you know, is once you sort of address what the negative impact is, is say, well, okay, what would I like to think, feel, or do instead of having this fear? Right. And now you kind of disassociate yourself a little bit from the, the negative and start thinking about, well, wait a minute. If I've made money in the past, what other ways can I make money? Or if I sit with my financial advisor and explain to her, this is what I think I'm going to get from my practice. You know what I've got for investments. You know how I spend money, right? If I'm not going to be, you know, drawing a salary, like what do I need to do with my expenses, income, investments, et cetera, to make sure that myself and, you know, my family are going to be okay. And then the last piece is, Questions like what positive statement, you know, can I use to counter this fear? All right. So we're kind of on the money rounds. So I'll keep going with that. So, well, a positive statement could be, well, I have a wealth advisor. I have a tax advisor. I have a lawyer. All right. I've saved some and I know this amount of money is going to come from this transaction. So therefore, I have a plan and I have people who can help me address these fears and move forward with my life. Yeah, very well said. What are some other things that you can possibly share with the practice owners listening that kind of helps them deal with their concerns and make a better choice as opposed to being stuck or or finding themselves stuck in in one of these steps or part of this process? Yeah. One is write everything down that's concerning you. All right. If you can sit with someone, trusted advisor, it doesn't have to be necessarily somebody like me, but somebody that you has known you for a while um, and has an empathetic ear. Right. And you just talk through, right? And and you have to, quite frankly, you have to make yourself vulnerable to this person, right? But if you don't, these fears tend to have a happy faculty of biting you in the ass at the, the absolute worst time. Okay. So better to get them kind of out on the table, literally on paper ahead of time with some sort of trusted individual, coach, consultant, whatever it may be, and address them. Figure out an action plan. Find out who else you might need to bring into the table in terms of advisor. And then 
a step-by-step approach to, to execute that plan so that when you're getting to the closing table, right, which is this fabulous thing and you're planning where you're going to go to the dinner, right? You know, the little monkey isn't sitting on your shoulder telling you horrible things right, that are going to happen to you. That's excellent. What about, do you ever do any role play with your clients? Like if you see that they kind of need a little bit more experience. So, so let's say they first, they write it out, they document it, they type it out, they write it out. So they're getting those feelings and fears out of their head. They're getting them on paper or a Google doc or whatever. They're documenting it somewhere. But then do you ever work with your clients where you're kind of role-playing potential buyer questions or, or, or scenarios of how kind of like the dynamic goes with like negotiations and those types of things, if they have that as like a fear or, or like an area where they don't have expertise? Yeah, it's a great point. So what I like to do is, is what I, I call it pre-due diligence. Other people call it data gathering, what have you. But before you even get, start talking to the first potential buyer in any serious way, you really should step, take a look at everything in your practice, in, in your business from, you know, everything from the company history to the financial information to all the legal licensing stuff, you know, really detail it out. And, and, you know, at True North, we have a very extensive, what we call a data gathering sheet. We spend two hours with somebody. And it's, at the end of those two hours, what they end up with is homework, right? It's like, wow, I've got to look up this. I've got to look up that. I totally forgot that we had this, you know, employee complaint that we had to deal with and we ultimately resolved. Okay. There wasn't a lawsuit, but guess what? That may come up in due diligence. So better to get it addressed now. And what I say is addressing an issue doesn't make the issue go away. It does make it explainable. And if you're a buyer, you just want a good, valid, documented explanation for it because you don't want biting you in the ass. For sure. So a pre-due diligence process or data gathering, as we call it at, at True North, is invaluable. Excellent. What about resources that a practice owner can find online or, or find with uh, an advisor like yourself where they're trying to seek out and they're trying to think more deeply about their, their business transition, their practice transition, the life after they eventually leave or go through that one or two year transitional period? Yeah. So there's literally oodles of information. Clearly, they should be listening to your show, right? That's a great way to learn a ton. But in terms of written stuff, I'll kind of throw it into a couple of buckets. From the transaction side, there's information you can get on an organization called the Exit Planning Exchange. I think it's exitplanningexchange.com. And they have a lot of free information, videos, et cetera. Some is public, some is sort of behind the paywall, but you can learn a lot from them. There's a ton of advisors in there. I happen to be a member of them. They're a national group. You can also, you know, look, there's a, um, a new organization called Baton, like the track Baton, uh, in, in New York, Baton Market, I think, dot com. They've got a ton of information, information about how to figure out evaluation, what it means, et cetera. From the transition side of the hat, um, particularly with those who might be thinking about retirement, there's my website, theplatinumyears.com. It's got tons of stuff. And if you like to read, I still like to read, but a book was written many years ago called Transitions by uh, William Bridges, who was a psychologist. And he, you know, in a very short book, I think it's only 200 pages or less, really gets to the heart of the matter, right? It's a lot of that stuff that became, you know, in essence, some of the foundation for what my now former partner in the platinum years, what we created for all the stuff that we do. And we help people on the transition side of this process. Excellent. I really appreciate those resources. 
How about any quick success stories, uh, either, you know, anonymous or if, you know, depending on how much you're able to share. Yeah. So there was a gentleman who came to me. He uh, was in sort of the classic, you know, the 12th month of his 18 month contract. He worked for and built a very successful business and was number one, like, you know, somebody told me I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, well, why? He goes, I don't really know why. Why are we talking? And so I said, well, tell me what's going on. And then as soon as I said that, he started just basically spilling his guts, like all the, what all the fears were. I'm like, oh, this is what's going on. I said, all right. So I explained my process. I won't reiterate it here, but here's what you need to think about. He said, well, I'm not sure I need that. Okay, no problem. So calls me like two months later. And he's like, okay, my contract ended early. I really need to talk to you. <laughs> and so now we're able to get into it and really help him on a step-by-step basis, go through those 10 areas of his life. And what I call is, is a, it created a, a framework for purposeful living, right? So that's somebody who's kind of already done their deal. And now they're trying to figure out like, what are they going to do next with their life, right? So I have another situation where a gentleman, he had has a great business, you should say, that's still active. So uh, be careful what I say. And he uh, wanted to engage with an advisor, not me, to do the transaction, but he just kind of couldn't sign the engagement agreement. And the reason he couldn't sign it is he thought he was going to fall into a black hole. Right? Like, that's it. This business is my life. If I, if I sign this agreement and I sell, I, I got nothing, literally, right? He'll have millions of dollars, but in his mind, he'd have nothing, right? And so I said, okay, well, what would you like to think, feel, or do, and have a set ahead of that fear. He says, well, I'd want, and then again, same thing, out, out it came. So we worked together for about three months or so. We'd meet once a you know, once a week or so at a, a Panera for coffee, as I call it. And we would just talk through all those concerns and basically build this plan for him. So I said, now, when you compare where you are to, you know, today, where you were three months ago, how do you feel about the transaction? Now, mind you, I, I don't have any skin in the game in that transaction. Somebody else is not paid on that. He goes, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move forward now. Now that I've got a plan, I can do this. And he said, well, do I have to wait to start working at all these things, you know, till the transaction's over? I said, well, what do you think? He goes, no, I want to get start working. You know, I want to get myself more physically healthy. I want to eat better. I want to, I said, great. What's your action plan? And boom, boom, boom. He wrote the dates and here's what I'm going to do. And I talked to my wife about this. And then he's like, yeah, we're thinking about moving to X and we just booked tickets to go there. <laughs> and said, so again, it's nothing that I or anyone else who does this kind of work is, you know, this is not quantum mechanics. All right. It's just a combination of asking questions, writing down the responses, creating a plan, meeting with the appropriate advisors. And then executing the plan. In many ways, it's kind of like a strategic planning process. A good transaction advisor has a transaction planning process that they follow. And on the transition side, it kind of gets forgotten about. But believe it or not, there's a strategic planning process to transitioning out of your practice and your business as well. Well, all of this is, uh, this is almost like coaching or like mental therapy for, for us on the buy side, even though you're also kind of like a coach, almost like a, no, I'm not saying you're a, like a health coach or, or a psychologist. I'm not a, ther- I'm not a therapist. Let me put that out. There. Yeah. You- I'm happy to call myself a coach. I call it transition coach and a transaction advisor because they're actually different things. 
but there are a lot of these emotional components where once you're helping someone, you're helping a client like this find clarity in their whole situation. So whether like presently or in the near future or how they perceive where they are or who they are right now and who they're going to be in the next six months, 12 months and into the future. So there, there is like a psychological component to all this, the emotional and the psychology. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. As that transaction lawyer told me, this was many years ago, we were just talking about this. He goes, Paul, let me tell you, I've been doing transaction law forever. It's always psychology. <laughs> so it's it's demonstrating not just your experience, but it's like your confidence in helping lead a client through this whole process, through the transaction, which is like the numbers, the deal, all that. And then the other component of the transition, which could be months to typically years. And it, it's managing those expectations and that whole transitional period, which is also emotional, even though I think most buyers like like us and maybe others out there probably perceive that the the closing date and maybe you know days or weeks after that, the transaction as you're defining it is like the biggest emotional component. And it's a great reminder for us and for me and others watching that it's the two stages. It's the transaction that has the emotion and some of your helpful psychology tips and and clarity. But then it's also you do the same thing for the next part, which is the transition, which could be one or two years down the line. Yeah, absolutely. You get everyone is always, as I say, is we're always in a constant process of creating the new iteration of ourselves. So that's the case. What's the new version of me? Love it. Let's get into you have a downloadable that we're going to share with the audience. Uh, basically, what's next for you and the three G's. So we'll put the uh, the link in the show notes. Can you give a little bit of uh, color to? To this yeah, it's, really, it's a short, short document. It's called What's Next for a Future. It asks a bunch of questions. Uh, I will say up front, if you download it, you'll be handing me your email address. You'll be joining my list, but you can easily unsubscribe. And then from there, they'd be invited to take a look at what's called the What's Next self-assessment for business owners. I mean, that would obviously include a, a, a medical professional like yourself, health professional, but the idea of, of the what's next self-assessment, which is, you know, a paid program is something where they're going to answer a whole series of questions that really think that go through this in a much deeper way. And then from that, they'll get the answers to their questions. They'll get a download of a book that former partner of mine written, and then they'll get a workbook. And there's a whole bunch of exercises, checklists, and to-do lists. But the free thing is the what's next for a future. And it's just gives you some questions to think about these things. And in the pre-interview, we covered the three Gs. So let's cover, let's go into that. Three G stands for what a lot of people, particularly those who are thinking of retiring, whether they're healthcare professional or whatever, is they consistently say, oh, I'm going to spend, why am I selling my practice, my business? I want to spend more time with golfing gardening, grandkids. I call them the three Gs. And the, the challenge with that is the following. One is, if you really want to get better at golf, you should have started 10 years ago. Right? And I'm a golfer, so I know what I'm talking about. And of course, it gets cold, it gets raining, your back gets sore, you need physical therapy, right? Uh, That's right. Gardening is fantastic. It's very therapeutic. It also can be really hard on your back and knees. Once again, we're going to physical therapy, right? <laughs> All right. So with grandkids, right? Grandkids are fantastic, except they have this happy faculty. They get older, they get busy, and they spend less time with you. 
So you kind of can't count on the three G's or your iteration of three G's for everything you're going to want because there's upsides and downsides to all of them. And you've got to have a broader view of what kind of a future you want and what do you want to do and what do you want to accomplish in that future. And that also then kind of circles back in the psychology and the emotional component of like who that person is professionally and who they are with their family and their friends. So when we booked this call and we had the pre-interview, we didn't talk about any of this, but like, as you're presenting it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to remind myself and my team, like not just, we know it's an emotional process or could be, but how much of the process involves the seller's emotions and the psychology component of like all these questions in our brain. And then the questions are also in the, the seller's brain of like, Am I making the right choice? Is this the right buyer? Is this the right time? What am I going to do in the next one or two years? Who am I? There's like all of these like high level questions that I didn't even think about before we jumped on this call. So I really appreciate you kind of like bringing these to the surface. Uh, It's my pleasure. As you can tell, I love talking about it. And I, I really wish everyone involved in any kind of a transaction would think more deeply about their transition side because the buyers, the sellers, the advisors but all have a lot less angst if they spend a little bit more time thinking through them. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of introspection, sometimes internal questions, internal conflict. Do you find like with your experience with different advisors and intermediaries, do you find like that you're a little bit more on the, you help or see a little bit more of the emotional side and and you kind of help, not that you're a psychologist, but you help help with that psychological component and maybe other intermediaries, intermediaries and other advisors out there are a little more transactional, a little bit maybe rougher around the edges. They don't bring up these things. They don't, they don't have their client write out their fears and, and things like that. Cause I, I've interviewed a ton of folks on the show and you're the first to mention it. So it's like, are there certain advisors and intermediaries out there that are a little bit better, maybe with the soft skills and the psychological component, or is it something like all advisors and intermediaries are doing? Well, I would never say all because, right, there's, there's a whole lot of us, right? If you, if you believe the statistic, there's something like 14,000 business brokers in the United States and another 10 to 20,000 investment bankers. So you kind of add it all up. There's 25 or 30,000 people roughly doing this kind of work. I would hope that they're all aware of this because too often it bites them in the butt. But, and I'm sure there are some who are willing to take the time to talk through it and use it. There was a time in another business where we did actually do some trainings around this for advisors to understand it all. I I don't do that work anymore. But the idea of me being the only one who has this process is probably not correct. But I will say that I do try to spend some time thinking through these, you know, things with the uh, owners of the business because, you know, everybody wants the transaction to, to go through. And a dilemma that all of us on the transaction side face is we don't want anything to slow down or hinder the deal or to cause the business owner to change their mind. Oh, you know, I I haven't thought about that stuff. So maybe I should stop and think about it. And I have to say, I won't give the gentleman saying, but I have to give the transaction advisor who referred me my coaching client a lot of, of kudos because he could have found a way to pressure this guy to sign the agreement, right? Instead, he said, you know what? If I don't help this guy find someone to talk through this stuff, 
I'm going to fight through, get to the closing table. He's not going to sign the document and everybody's annoyed to say it politely. So he took the time to say, I don't have a skill set to work through this. Let me find somebody who does. All right? mm. And again, nobody has to hire me, only me to do that. But, you know, I, I would suggest their transaction advisors, if they're not going to ask these questions or if they don't feel comfortable, they think their training is find somebody who can help your client talk through these things. Because if they do it now, it's much less likely to blow up later on. Very well said. I think that's a perfect place to pause. Like I said, we scheduled this call. We had a bunch of preliminary topics. Didn't really think of how much we would get into the psychology and, and the emotional side. Makes a ton of sense. I really appreciate your time and um, and your insight because it's helping me even reflect on the current deal that we have, this current practice where we're trying to close by the end of the month. And I really need to reevaluate or review that individual practice owner who has agreed to stick around for a year after the closing date and making sure that they're comfortable with their whole situation and, and maybe have some you know dialogue about that and and understand where they're coming from and maybe some of their fears about the second component, not just the transaction and the deal, but their transition and getting into questioning about maybe where they see themselves going and not that they need to disclose all that to me because they will do that maybe more for you on the advisor side and maybe less on the buyer side, but it's still something that's important for me to remember. So I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. Happy to help anytime. Excellent. So we will link to the show notes, the, the downloadable and then just review. So the platinumyears.com and what are some of the other places, either LinkedIn website, email, other places for the audience to reach out to you if they want to connect. Yeah, so for, for the coaching part of it, the platinumyears.com is the best place to go. You know, if they're interested in transaction, obviously, they can reach us at uh, tnag.org, tnag.org. That's uh, True North Advisors. And I'm not, not sure where else to go from there, but obviously, they can follow me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.ianpaulfcronin. And hopefully, from there, we'll... Uh, listen to more of your shows because I think you've got a lot of great info for folks, certainly in that industry. Awesome. Really appreciate your time, Paul. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.